three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Amiga Cast. I'm your host, Grant, and with me as always is... Dan. And today's special guest is... Andrew. Cool, we're all here. Today, we are going to be discussing the Flaming Lips. I didn't actually look this up beforehand, but I believe it was like... 21st album or something? They've made a lot of albums. I don't know how many studio albums they've made, but they've made a lot of albums. This is their latest album that was released on 9-11 of 2020. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. So, we are going to go track by track, discuss each song, and then give our overall thoughts and opinions at the very end. Because that's what we ended up doing last time we reviewed an album, and it seemed to work pretty well. So we're going to just stick to that game plan. And um, we've, we might discuss the general, I mean, I'm assuming at some point the general history of the Flame Lips will arise. Especially with the, uh, the uh, themes of this album and the um, basis of which it was written on. Are y'all aware of what the uh, basis of this album is about? No. No. Okay. So... This album was written, I mean, it's written by Stephen Drozd and Wayne Coyne. Uh, Wayne Coyne grew up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He still lives there today. He was a famous Oklahomian. Um, and this album talks about his, pretty much his upbringing. And it's more or less an album about the loss of innocence in his childhood. Okay, that makes sense. So, as we go through... We will keep that in mind, and I just knocked a bunch of crap over, so that's fine. Alright, so let's get started. The first song on the album is When You Return, When You Come Down, which I believe was like the third or fourth single off the album. I think it was the fourth. So, Ian and I listened to the songs as they came out. I made Ian listen to all the singles. Andrew did not hear this until the album came out. Yeah. So... Um, Ian, what did you think of When You Return? It was it was a pretty good opener. It's not obviously not as big as like because like the the trilogy of like their most famous albums from uh, Soft Bullets and Yoshimi and That War of the Mystics. They all have these very big grand openings, and this yeah. was definitely a lot more softer. Like not exactly ballad it was, it was pretty like more like medium pace and it had a pretty steady flow to it but it was definitely like a lot softer and it's it was not like the like i said the big celebratory openings of those albums it was a lot uh, more because like his vocals are a lot more um uh buried and less pronounced than typically of like a, especially recently he tends to like put his vocals not as high in the mix as they usually are and they're a lot like softer i don't know if it's to compensate for like his age and his higher vocals not being as like uh, i mean because they, they were always a little bit of an uh, uh what's the the word for that of an acquired taste but i especially i suspect now especially that's the case so i'm not sure if that's why or if it's like just a an artistic choice for them to do that because i know a lot of like people do that regardless but yeah that was that had little to do with the track itself, more just generally speaking. But, I mean, it is an opener, so that's kind of first impressions thing. Good what track. 
What did you think of the opener, Andrew? Well, I thought I was thinking the same thing because, uh, I mean, you all know that I'm playing. I always play music a lot, and I produce a lot of music. So I was like, whenever I listen to music, I'm like, where would this go in like a set? And it'd be a very good, like, chill opener, like Ian said. So I mean, it, it's more of like one of those where you want to. It's it just kind of sits really well. It it doesn't really go anywhere or like get super hype or whatever you want to call it but it just it's just one of those that sits really well and it just feels good because like like ian said the the vocals are mixed like in the middle and it's all very like it's heavy with the reverb and it's just kind of like one of those vibe songs you know yeah um so the main refrain of the song's pretty catchy too. I might like when you yeah. just saying the title, it, it makes you like sing it in your head when you hear the title. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when this single came out that, and we'll get to this a little later with uh, certain tracks that came out as singles, but I remember when this came out, I didn't like it that much, um, especially by itself, because it just didn't. I don't know. It didn't sound like a, a Flaming Lips song usually does, and yeah. um, they and by that point they had released uh, Flowers on uh, Neptune, whatever, and um, that sounded like a Flaming Lips song. Whereas this was a lot more mellow and a lot more just. Uh, it didn't sound like it was going to be an opener. If anything, it sounded like it was going to be the closer to the album. And um, when I first listened to the album, it didn't. Um, I mean, it, it was really strange because. Um, like you were saying, my experience with the lips is like the yeah yeah song at the beginning of Atworth Mystics and um, uh, Flight Test is the opening song for Yoshimi, mm -hmm. and then uh, Race for the Prize is like one of the grandest openings of an album I've ever heard. So for this to be so mellow, I think that really sets the tone for the album as a whole. Anything yeah. to add to that? Ooh, sorry. Go ahead. You don't have anything to add, or I, I was gonna say it was like while listening to this album, it was definitely like it threw me off because, like in my head, I had a whole different vibe for the Flaming Lips, yeah. and then a lot of this is like mellow and a lot more subdued. Yeah. So it, it definitely made me like want to look. It made me go and listen to more of their stuff. But yeah. so Andrew, as a new, uh, <laughs> the Calder fans the. Uh, Fearless Freaks, mm -hmm. so as a new freak, how did you feel, like, what was your experience with the lips? Like, what did you listen to before this? Uh, I mean, you had made me listen to some of Yoshimi before, uh, but other than that, not very much, but, uh, my old band, the Dune Sea, their, their music is, like, right in the same vein as all of this, so I'm very, like, like in tune with this style of music with that we will move on to the next track it is a smooth transition um into watching the white bugs glow which is an ambient piece um it's an instrumental with uh vocals from casey musgraves which is an interesting addition to the lip sound mm -hmm. um she's on John that track yeah i'm okay I'm like 99% certain because I said she was on three tracks I believe she yeah. sings she sings actual like 
um, you know, actual lyrics on um, uh, God of the Policeman. And but, Flowers of Neptune 6. Yeah, but on this one, she's um, singing background vocals, I'm hmm. all, all certain. I didn't notice that she was, because I, I, I noticed that she was on the other two. I didn't know she was on this one, but that's also because it didn't have, it doesn't, like, on Amazon, it doesn't list, like, featuring Casey Musgraves, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, had either of you heard Casey Musgraves before this? I have. Had you heard Casey Musgraves? I, I'm pretty sure I have. I can't, like, remember, it, like, the names of any of her songs, but I am pretty sure I have. I listened to her, it was that album that, like, a lot of indie people loved, because it was a lot, it was like a, uh, a country album, but it was produced more, like, lushly, and almost, not like a pop album, but I don't, I wouldn't, might be able to, let me, I'm gonna pull up the Golden Hour, that was the one I listened to, like, half of that album. I wasn't that big of a fan of it, but she was also, she was on No Peer Pressure with Brian Wilson. Did you know that, Grant? No. She was I also on, haven't on, listened to all on of that. No Peer so I also haven't listened to all of No Peer Pressure, so. Okay. She was, she was on that, so, and it, that type of, like, kind of, like, it, it isn't as clean as No Peer Pressure, but it's definitely very similar, like, and also, it kind of makes sense for her to be on this album because that is like a very spacey approach to country. Golden Hour is so even though it's kind of weird to hear like a like a country artist on a Flaming Lips album, yeah. it kind of makes sense for it to be her because, like I said, she was she, she was also on Brian Wilson's album. So, also, I found it interesting that their last album that they did was the uh, Deep Lips, which was Deep Valley with the Flaming Lips, which was also a country uh, two country singer female singers. So oh, okay. they, um, they just released Deep Lips, um, which was a very country, like, the vocals were very country on that album, and they actually had no vocals on it. It was just the two artists, and they did, what, it seemed like they did the instrumental part, and the uh, country singers did the vocals. Okay. And uh, they also have experience working with Miley Cyrus, another yeah. female country singer. So they've had... They must have a thing for female country vocals. So. I, I don't know if I'd really count Miley Cyrus as, as country. So, country turned She used to be. Yeah. Yeah, understandable. But, anyway. Um, so, our next song is Flowers of Neptune 6, which was the first single. and was what made me super hype about this album at first. But I want to hear what y'all think before I uh, get into this song. Which one of us are you going to first? Yeah. Whoever speaks first. You go ahead, Ian. Alright. I, I I like this a lot when I first heard it. And I really think like the uh, the chorus, like the main chorus of the song is like really it's probably like the most grand moment that this album has, I would probably say. When he's like like the Oh my God! It was me, and now it's them. That whole refrain, because it's like it's probably his most like soaring vocal, and that's a pretty effective moment. I like the chorus, although I, I was looking up the lyrics. So I was just curious. It is pretty like lyrically sparse. It's very like kind of vague in its lyrical approach, which is fine. Because like with the rest of the albums, I didn't even I didn't really catch most of the lyrics anyway. But it was just something that I noticed. But yeah, it's definitely a lot more. It's probably the most grand, but it's definitely about, and it's definitely very subdued and not like a heavy song. It's very lush, very grand, sort of 
flaming lip song and definitely a lot more reverb than your typical lip song which yeah. becomes more common recently so unless andrew wants to go first i'll go ahead and say what i have to say you go ahead okay so i was right on board this song was like so exciting for me because it sounds uh what do, do we agree it sounds like yoshimi or um soft bulletin more i think it's more of a yoshimi song it's, yeah, I probably would say it's more Yoshimi, because that's the more cleanly produced album. Yeah, so, listening to the song, I was like, okay, this is going to be a great Flaming Lips album, it's going to sound, and they had announced that for some reason that they were going to make it, this was going to be like their classics album, it's going to sound more like their um, more traditional albums like Soft Bullet and Yoshimi at War kind of deal, and that's what they would said. Which I didn't get that vibe from like any of the rest of this album except for the song. Yeah. And the first time I listened to this album, I was like, "This is probably one of my least favorite songs on it because it's so out of place. Because it is so much like Yoshimi that it doesn't fit the vibe of the rest of this album." And I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Well, it is a more traditional lip song in the fact that it's more vague and talking about outer space instead of directly referring to, you know." the Quaaludes and LSD and all the other stuff for the album. So it was uh, it was slightly disappointing to hear it in this context the first time I listened. And I feel like it fits a little better now than it did before. But, uh, yeah, I was just overall kind of disappointed by the song when it came to the album, but I loved it as a single. And that was my experience. I don't really, I kind of just, I think it fits perfectly into this very, like, kind of spacey more like somber flips album but i thought i thought it would stand out like look weird on any other i thought this was like the perfect album for a song like this but any thoughts andrew well yeah so i mean a lot of the music i listen to is like new pop or like uh hip-hop r&b gospel-ish ish but i also listen to a lot of uh khaled so i listen to a lot of khaled right and his music is the kind of music where it's super spacey, super reverb heavy, and it's kind of like just driving down the road, road trip, doesn't matter where we're going, you can bump and vibe to this. But uh, so far, at the, this point in the album, that's, that's what I'm thinking with this album. I'm like, all right, this is the kind of thing where I can just like get in the car, ride down the road, and just like vibe. Um, I also noticed with this track that uh, it's starting to build up to something. Uh, and that was just, like, my initial thoughts when I first listened to it. and Because, like, the tones start to get a little bit bigger and a little bit, like, meatier in a way. I don't know if I should go too into detail on, like, how that how that's done. But uh, it start like, you start to feel like, okay, this can build up to something. And a lot of times with my old band something we would do is we'd have tracks like this where it's really subdued so when we played it live it has like all this room to go and we could play one like two minute song for like uh for like 10 to 20 minutes doing solos and just having fun that kind of thing so it's i just i enjoyed this track i didn't i mean i didn't really listen to the lyrics because I always focus on like the instrumental part of it. Yeah. This the like 
the biggest thing to me was like the drums were starting to open up and you're starting to get more of that fullness in it. And I think that's all I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, it's weird. Cause like, and this isn't even like anything I can say specifically about this song, but like the little, the drum beat that like opens this track is just a drum beat that I've always liked. It's such a like, cause it's, it's like rhythmic without being like too like funky or like it can kind of suit any genre, which I like yeah. about it. But yeah. And I was oh, sorry. Uh, the the drum sounds to me are like I've been listening to Wouldn't It Be Nice a lot because <laughs> an all around good song. Mm-hmm. And the drums like they have that kind of sound and vibe to them. Oh, yeah. So where it's just kind of like a good vibe. And like with with Wouldn't It Be Nice, it's a little more busy, but it's very like happy and joyful and you get that kind of like that same vibe in this um so to clarify i don't hate this song this song oh, is yeah. great i like this song it's a good flame of lip song i just didn't think it 100 percent fit into this album it seems the most out of place to me um but next we have a song that kind of so we had like a flow going with will you return watching light bugs glow because like watching light bugs flows right into flowers of neptune 6 Mm-hmm. And then we have this like abrupt sound change of sound, yeah. and all of a sudden there's uh, dinosaurs on the mountain, which has this like this sound like it's like some sort of children's song or something, like with the the xylophone or whatever. Oh yeah. And, um, Can I so, hit you with music theory real quick? Sure. Go ahead. So actually, that that intro is is something called an Alberti bass. So. I actually have my keyboard behind me. So if it's like, or like movement like that, where the the bottom note changes, it's it's called an Alberti bass, and that was very like often used in like uh, lullabies. Mozart used it a lot in like very nice, easy sonatas, piano sonatas. So it was kind of cool to catch that. I'm glad that I picked up on that, but one thing that, so this hasn't been, it's more or less been confirmed because uh, Wayne Coyne, who uh, was responsible for most of the lyrics on this album, um, was writing about his life and certain tragic things that happened to him that changed the course of his life, and when he talked about this song, he mentioned how this song he was in the studio, and one of, I can't remember who, but, like, one fellow band member brought their child in, and he asked this kid, he was like, what do you want us to write a song about? And he said, dinosaurs. And he's like, okay, we're going to write a song about dinosaurs. And he said the second that they uh, said that, what popped into his mind was a childhood memory of driving down the road and pretending with his brothers on road trips that the, the silhouettes of the trees in the distance were dinosaurs. And they were up on the mountain. And that's where we get dinosaurs on the mountain. And what he goes on to say is that this song is... uh, I don't know what this is going to sound like, but I got a lot of editing to do. Anyway, uh, this song is... It sounds like a children's song. It has this... He's talking about these uh, dinosaurs being up on the mountain. He's talking about these childhood memories. And what he said was, this memory had occurred to him that this was the last moment that he had a uh, road trip. And the song was a reflection of his childhood. And 
um, he said that this was the one of the last road trips he where he went on where he wasn't thinking about all these car wrecks on the side of the road who who probably died who got injured how much the price of gas is like these normal things that he thinks about now um, and how dangerous the road is to be on and how um, at any moment he can get into a, a wreck and he said this was the last trip he went on with that childhood innocence so in, in a sense this song is his loss of childhood innocence so he goes from this joyful idea and he's using the dinosaurs on the mountain as a representation of his childhood innocence and when the asteroid or ever comes and destroys all the dinosaurs that's his innocence destroyed anyway that's what i got from it and that's what he had said in his uh explanation of it so i thought i'd share that now what did you think of the song I well first as I I'm gonna continue to reiterate my issue that I take with your idea that Flowers of Neptune Six like broke up the flow of the album because literally when I was listening because it'd been a while since I listened to Flowers and I didn't even because like on Amazon it's, it's their transitions are transitions are pretty quick so I didn't even realize that watching the light bugs glow was had become Flowers of Neptune Six when I was playing until I started singing because I kind of figured that watching light bugs would be an instrumental. And I looked down and I realized that it already changed into another song. So I thought the flow was pretty natural. And I kind of found Dinosaur on the Mountain to be a more abrupt shift. And I yeah. like how you felt about Flowers of Neptune 6 was how I felt about Dinosaurs on the Mountain. Because I kind of liked it as a single, but I thought it was kind of a weird like turn. I don't know. I just It didn't vibe with me as much on in the context of the album. So, and I, I think it's not supposed to. I think that's the point is it's a... a like, because... We went from these like vague ideas with Flowers of Neptune Six. Flowers of Neptune Six, from what I can tell lyrically, is still about drug use, I believe. And Dinosaurs on the Mountain is that abrupt change where he starts to think about what the real world is like. And then from there on out, he directly names what drugs he's talking about because he has oh, yeah. playroot and LSD and weed. So he no longer uh, just hides the fact; he's just blatant about it. I mean, it, it didn't contradict anything that I said, but thanks for your thanks for your input. <laughs> you know, it sounded like a mail like it did. So. Yeah, I think I have to agree with Ian on this one because, like, while listening to it, it was like those three fit really well together, and almost like one of those things where it's like they purposely make it to where the end of one track is the start of another kind of thing. Um, but I also feel a shift, like emotionally here in the album because it goes from that that like very vibe the very vibe heavy just kind of chilling it is how it is kind of thing to being like well crap the dinosaurs got got you know <laughs> uh, and it, it's very like even just the music i since i study since i'm doing music composition i study a lot of music and I also have to do piano, so I'm having to interpret a lot of old music that doesn't really have written down what it's meant to be, and it's a lot harder than just searching it up and being like, how am I supposed to play this? But, uh, so what I get from this is that, like, emotional decay, kind of like a looking back on what's happening, but as well as realizing that things have changed, and therefore the shift of the sound and the like the whole shift of like what they're talking about in the album like you said how they start like just explicitly stating the drugs they use that shift is very apparent due to 
the emotions in this song and like the whole arc of this and i want to say like because like it my problem with the song isn't the abrupt shift you know like because i had you listen to the globe part two great and you know that he definitely has very abrupt moments in his albums and i really like the way he does that and i i like the way like the opening of the track kind of like breaks up the thing but i just think that it then abandons that breaking up and then just, and then just kind of delves back into like what we're doing previously, which is fine. But I think it kind of makes like the opening of the track was really good, and the rest of it just kind of fades into the rest. And because one thing, and I don't I don't want to get too much into this because it's kind of my my overall thoughts. But the thing I liked about the album was the way all the tracks bleed together in like a nice way, and not in a way that they're all like indistinct. But they all just kind of like fade into and vibe with one another. But um. This is like the one track where it it both did it both broke away from that in an interesting way, but then developed into breaking away in a less interesting way. So that was my that was it wasn't that it wasn't that it broke away, but that it broke away in a way that I didn't really like. That was the problem with it. So just to clarify. Alright. And that yeah. So our next song is At the Movies on Quaaludes. Oh yeah. Yes. Sir. So I'm going to go ahead and go first on this one because this was one of my favorite songs on the whole album. I love this song. And you, you got I'm a, I'm a little bit of a sucker for the song where they mention the name of the album. <laughs> and in this song, they mention American Head. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure what this song is about, but I have an idea because it doesn't mention the American Dream. And I think at this point, he thinks the American Dream is doing lots of drugs. I think that's what it's kind of getting at. But... Um, I just like the overall sound and feel of this, and I loved it every time I listened to it. And I've listened to it multiple times. Actually, speaking on the sound, so I was I was thinking about this a lot too, because honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I like I said earlier, I didn't know that much about the Flaming Lips, so I thought this was like an '80s '90s band. So when I saw that this was made in 2020, I was like, holy crap, this is this is such a... It explains such the the oddities of the sound. So, like, the track opens up with that piano, and the progression and the lines sound like something from the 80s with the production of something modern. And it just, like, I really vibe with that, mixing the, the old school and the modern sounds together. And it just kind of, it like throws, it threw me for a loop, but at the same time, it was like, it, it pulled me in, and I liked that. I never caught that, but now that you said that, it makes total sense. Like, I, I there was something about the song that seemed strange in a yeah. good way, and I, you totally placed it. It sounds like a modern song in the 80s. Like, Yeah, because it, like, all the guitars have that, that, like, characteristic 80s sound with the, like, the distortion and the the phasers and all of that in the chorus but then the piano is very like clean and modern and like clear and i thought that would like clash in my head i was like i was trying to justify it in my head because i was like that shouldn't work but they balance it perfectly i love the intensity that we get with certain lines like when he's talking about destroying their brains and how that's that's his american dream and that build and that just like intensity that happens is just it's great mm-hmm. one thing that i like about the song that kind of 
feels like the way that they all kind of like meld into one another is kind of the repetition of the you and me, me and you refrain. Yeah. It kind of becomes like, uh, well, the band I'm going to reference does it to a very different end. Because like sort of like with uh, To Be Kind by Swans, they use a lot of repetition of lyrics. Although with that one, I think like the repetition, they keep building on top of the repetition and it builds into the big climax. Whereas this, the repetition is more, it becomes like this like hypnotic theme that you just kind of like get yeah. like get into the groove of and then it just like kind of takes you away on these like waves of sound and stuff. So um, even in like two tracks after this, you have you and me selling weed. Like they oh, yeah. bring like into the titles and stuff. I see what you're saying and I hear that too. Any more thoughts before the next song? Nope. I'm good. All right. Well, Mother I've Taken LSD is the next song, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, I consider this a ballad. Yeah. Am I correct? Okay, cool. <laughs> Since we have the, the music expert in the room. Um, so, to be honest, this is one of my least favorite songs on the album. And um, there's just something... I don't know. It's... I get he's probably trying to be off-putting, but his vocals and the piano don't quite match, and it's kind of in an uncomfortable way, which might be intentional because the song is about how LSD is... He thought it was going to uh, save him, and instead it's completely ruined him. So Listening to you talk about it, it's, it's very different from, like, Mike's, because I, this is definitely one of the ones where, like, the... Uh, because at this point, I'm pretty, like, getting pretty much into the groove, and uh, there's, like, a word I'm looking for that it's just escaping right now, but the very, I guess, not quite meditative, but, like, the very, the mood of the album, the very somber, uh, meditative mood of the album. But with this one, this is the one where, even though, like, on a first listen, it doesn't really strike you as much, you can describe how it's about, like, like the loss of innocence of childhood, because definitely, like, that call, like, the opening line, like, Mother of Taken LSD is a very, like, pretty good summation of kind of the theme of the whole album and then the feeling of like of like losing that innocence and going into like the uh now i've taken lc and I'm like i've the whole world just seems like completely different to me now and i thought that because it reminded me a lot of like with and was, this is why it's probably you didn't like it because it kind of reminded me of the way that like the mother figure well it's not the same way but Reminded me a lot of like Mother by Pink Floyd and like the very like desperate plea to the mother and the way that that's kind of shaped. Obviously, it's sonically, it's completely different, but it reminded me of like a kind of a similar motion. Although, whereas the mother figure was like this uh, manipulating uh, character that used comfort as like the way to manipulate, so on this one, it is like just more pure comfort that's kind of been ruined by this experience. So, for me, when I listened to this song, I had this this loop of like song association kind of thing so the the title of the track makes me think of bohemian rhapsody in the same way how it says mama just killed a man i am kind of admitting to uh like your mom that like okay i've done something bad and now i'm seeing everything differently like showing that emotional shift like you said um but when I listen to it, and I won't name the name of this song, mainly because it's not family friendly. But uh, there's a song by Blink One Eighty. LSD is perfectly family friendly. Like, 
Fun for the whole family. Yeah. Yeah, well, go ahead. Explicit <laughs> language. Uh, it's fine. But, like, uh, there's a Blink-182 song uh, talking about wanting to do something to a dog. Um, <laughs> um, and it, it opened, like, when I first heard the song starting up, I had that, that vibe of that. So I first, I took the song as like a joke because of that, just because I had that sound in my head, but it opens up. And then the thing that I noticed production wise is like you said, Grant, with the, like the different sounds of the pianos and the keyboard or, and the guitars and the vocals all clashing. I, I feel like that was also like, a reach to like emotion saying like I'm I'm admitting this kind of stuff to my mom and I don't feel great about it I don't feel comfortable about it because now I see the world as it really is and it's it's dirty it's messy it's confusing and I don't know how to take all of it in so it just kind of amplifies that that thought and idea now to the best track on the album oh yeah Okay, Brother I. All right, let's have Andrew start first because we both know how we feel about it. Yeah. yeah. So when I started listening to this track, I was like, okay, finally what I was expecting in one of these songs. But then it, like, transitions a lot, or it transitions heavily from that, like, spacey to the piano ballad kind of thing, which threw me off. But also at the same time, I was like, okay, with lyrically and melodically i see what you're trying to do here and then it just starts building back up and it just it just sits so well like it opens up with that like synthy vibe and it just kind of like puts you in this headspace of okay i'm gonna say something and we're gonna all be chill about it and i just love all the different sounds he chose for it as well yeah so I'm gonna set some quick context. It's not. I mean, it's not terribly obvious. It's not terribly uh, difficult to figure out. But um, so this song is about his brother who was really caught up in these and all the drugs that he talks about in this. And I'm not actually sure if his brother's still alive. But this this plea that he has, where he just asks his brother to live forever because he never wants to lose him, and I think it's kind of funny. That Ian and I, as brothers, both really love this song. I'm not sure that what that says about us, <laughs> but but it was it was just such a powerful song, and that that electronic vocals at the beginning that opens the track is just yeah. so great. And the first time, I didn't like the uh, regular softer parts of the song as much as that powerful, strong, uh, produced vocal. But um, as I, the more I listen to this song, the more I just come come to love every aspect of it, even including the uh, the softer vocals that come about. Because the softer vocals show these the softer side of him than what you get with that electronic uh, brother eye, and um, it allows you to to relate more strongly to the emotions he's feeling than if it just carried through with the electronic vocals. So I understand what they did with it. And I, I love it. I love this song. Yeah, the the little the opening like little synthly is kind of what sells the whole song to me because it's just like 
so fun and sprightly of like a little synth lead. It's just a lot of fun, like just the way it kind of bounces around New Year's and stuff. So yeah, it's also so, very driving too, which pushes yeah. forward into everything. It's great. I'm just singing it in my head right now and trying not to sing it out loud. It's just such a great song. It's been stuck in my head. I just listen to it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Because I know when uh, whenever they were making Soft Bullets and Wayne Coyne said that the uh, I can't remember like the way it was like phrased because he's like answering questions like like what do you play? It's like well we don't really play instruments. We play the studio as like an instrument, and that definitely is like this is one of those tracks that kind of speaks to that philosophy of like playing the like what you can do within a studio and all the effects and stuff. So yeah. It's it's easily like I don't know I I don't want to say it's the most Flaming Lips song but it kind of is in my mind it's it's my favorite song I don't need to say anything else besides that it's just it's a great song I also I I also really appreciated that they didn't bring full kit into this that they kind of just let it sit and groove within itself without like a percussion section other than the kick drum. I, that just popped in my head. It, it's it's fine. into what y'all were saying, and then I, I lost it when I started talking. It's fine. Somebody under, understood you out there. It's yeah, fine. someone. someone. Uh, I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like there's there's a lot more to say, but it, nothing's necessarily coming to my head right now. But, I mean, I think we've said what we had to say about it is fantastic song if you don't listen to the rest of this album for whatever reason definitely listen to that song no other eyes it's a beautiful song and I, I love the the idea that he says that his brother being born was like i believe he says the stars in the sky at night like they bring light into a dark world like that's how fondly he thinks of his brother and how much he's pleading with him to please don't do drugs and die so yeah and i think that also appeals to like people like us, Grant, who are the younger brother. Because, I mean, you know I have Chad and you have Ian, like we already said. So we like we care a lot about our older brothers, and we view them as like a good like role model almost, and a good like person to come to. So like the idea of losing that would be like earth-shattering almost. Yeah. So the idea that he's appealing to him and being like, yo, don't get yourself got. Don't die don't do drugs or yeah. if you don't get yourself killed on drugs it it makes a lot of sense all right i guess we're moving on we're going to you and me selling weed which was a single mm-hmm. for this album and when i first listened to this song it was really weird and i didn't quite like it but the more i've listened to it the more it's gotten stuck in my head and the more i kind of like it it's definitely the weirdest track on the album. This one is definitely has the most, like, sporadic, like, sort of like the everything in the kitchen sink approach to production, because there's that weird, like, freak-out section in the middle of the track. Well, not, it's not, like, freak-out, but, like, compared to the the more, like, relaxed tone of the rest of the album, it's definitely comparatively a freak-out moment. And then just, like, devolved right back down into the ballad form, but... Let me hit you with some context on the song, because he made a video talking about what the song was about. So I'm going to share it with you. He, when growing up um, in Oklahoma in the 70s, I believe, he uh, started selling weed because all his friends were doing it and he thought he could make money. He actually admitted in the video, 
he was like, well, first of all, he was like, I think I've waited long enough to talk about this to where I can't get arrested for it. But, uh, so, uh, he was talking about it, and he was like, yeah, um, you wouldn't think that weed was illegal as much as people were doing it. <laughs> and uh, so he said that a lot of people were caught up in the weed scene, and he was like, you know what? My friends are making a ton of money on this. Let me let me try. And he actually said he didn't make that much money, and he got caught up in the crowd that he didn't want to be a part of, and uh, he tried to find his way out, which is also kind of what this song, this album's about, is coming to a realization that he needs to get out of this world that he's gotten himself caught up in. But um, the uh, uh, people in the song are apparently two real people, and uh, one of them got involved with, like, the mob or something, and they pissed them off and got shanked to death. So that's part of what this album is about, because that was, like, somebody he went to high school with, and that was kind of a moment where he was like, huh, maybe I don't want to be involved in this, because... This person was brutally murdered. Um, so that yeah. sounds like a great reason to me. Yeah. So the song has all this weird production and sound effects, and one of my favorite moments is where he's like, "Got blood in my shoe," and it's got like all the weird cow sound effects and uh, what else is there? I mean, there's dog sound effects in this album, but I'm not sure if it's in this song, but it's such a wild song and weird but and it's such about such a serious topic you wouldn't think that it'd have all this weird production and stuff but i kind of feel like i'm not sure what the choice was made there but in my mind it's kind of like a relief after brother eye is such an intense like emotional song and this one's kind of goofy even though it's about a dude getting brutally murdered yeah but anyway you know working at the slaughterhouse with my girl which I think is like some sort of a metaphor for getting slaughtered, you know. So, um, anybody have anything to say on that? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, yeah, and kind of like what you were mentioning is it's just kind of, or having heard the, like, the context of what it's about, it's just all kind of gives you that sublime feeling of how it's like, uh, how it's like you you're doing something and you think it's working but then you see something go wrong for someone else and you're like okay i need to reevaluate uh i've been listening to the song by logic uh called ysiv uh stands for young sinatra four and in the middle of the, uh the song he talks about the same thing he talks about uh two kids that he saw on the street not kids but like our age uh but, like, two guys you saw on the street having an argument, and one got mad and pulled a gun on the other one, and they were good people. But cops came up and saw that they were fighting, and one had a gun, and they took them both in. Then he says uh, that no matter what, we'll fight over what's the most important... We'll fight over what the most important thing to man is, money. And that just sparked the same thoughts. And I also like what you said with all the, like... Uh, everything in the kitchen sink just kind of like throwing in sounds just every now and then because it, it keeps it interesting and keeps the listeners like okay what's going to happen here because I, I listen for the same thing when I'm writing my music as well 
I also like to say that um, that part where it starts to pick up and then it like abruptly switches back to what I was doing, mm-hmm. I think that has to do with he was talking about how he didn't want to glorify what was happening. So mm-hmm. he kind of builds into this like goofy little dance song, you know, and then he stops it to, to show that that's not what it's really like. It's not all about money and fame in the drug dealing scene. Because at one point they talk about being uh, dope dealing celebrities. Mm-hmm. So, um, Ian, have you said all? Have you said your piece? Yeah, pretty much. And I also don't really have much to talk about with the next two tracks until we get to Gun the Policeman. Because this is where the album definitely starts to start. Not, not, not like, again, not in a bad way. Because usually this would be like a, a track. I guess together in like a nice sort of way but so i can't i can't really distinguish between when we die we're high and assassins of youth but i definitely remember gone the policeman so so i don't have much to say about when we die so we might uh skip that unless andrew has something to say because it's just an instrumental that kind of fills in the, the space there i mean are we skipping mother please don't be sad as well oh yeah we do need to talk about mother please don't be sad oh whoops i forgot about i yep. to go right. down Rewind. Okay, so Mother, Please Don't Be Sad, I'll hit you with some context first this time. Mother, Please Don't Be Sad is about Wayne Coyne working at uh, Long John Silver's as a teen growing up in the 70s. And he said at the time, in Oklahoma City, there was a group of people that would go into a restaurant, have all the um, employees get in the cooler and shoot them all dead. And so he had these people come in and uh, start holding up guns and pulling at gunpoint to them all get on the ground, and he thought that that was going to be him. And this is a song is about him thinking about what life would be like without him for his mother, who he visited every night after work. And uh, he also mentions in this that uh, he's got some dogs at home that he worries won't be taken care of. So he wants to tell his mom to take care of the dogs. It was kind of like a, a, a note that he wants to leave his mom if he were to die that night. And uh, he didn't actually end up dying, believe it or not. And he's still with us, and uh, this was a this was one of the realization moments where he was like, "Okay, I got to get out of this scene." So, all right, who's got something to say first? Not me, Andrew. It's all you. I well, I mean, I was thinking about it in regards to the uh, the mother I've taken LSD. So, I mean, clearly it throughout this these two tracks it shows how he's very like open with his mom and how he does care about her a lot um so i think like with this track it's very it's very appealing to like uh i almost like you said i almost died and i wish the best for you but i am about to move on and even within that that instrumental break toward the middle of the song it has that sense of, like, him moving on to an... I mean, I don't know the guy, so I won't say, like, heaven or hell, but, like, a new plane of reality. I'll put it that way. So he's, like, moving on to this, like, almost purgatory-esque kind of thing where it's just kind of him, like, being glad that he's not having to deal with the, like, depression and all this anxiety and all this, like, stuff from just how living life is. Um yeah. But I I find it really, like, touching the fact that 
after like everything else that's happened in this album so far, he takes the time to be like, "Hey, mom, if I die, here's what I have to say to you." Like yeah. amongst talking about LSD, all of this stuff, he stops and it's like, "Here's everything I want to say to you." Um, yeah. one thing that you hit on that uh, I was thinking about is um the the overall kind of joyous tone like he's not quite he's not sad he's telling his mom not to be sad because yeah. he was like i'm going to a better place don't be sad and then at one point in the song he says there's other people alive don't worry about me just go take care of the dogs and live your life and i'll be fine so yeah, yeah. and it's kind of this like this joyous release almost for him yeah. I was actually just uh, re-listening to it while y'all were talking, so <laughs> I could give give some renewed thoughts. Because okay, because now because like whenever I listen to the album, I'm not li- I'm not looking at the tracks when I'm listening to it. So yeah. that's also why it's kind of hard for me to pick them apart because I just listen to it all in one go. So I definitely what I what li- li- re-listening to it now, I can remember my experience listening to that track, which was it's very interesting because it kind of starts as this like, uh, is it starts out as like the most like organic instrumental with the piano and like whatever um horn they have beginning but then it's i mean it's technically it's still organic but like those very hard hitting like string sounds definitely yeah. add like a whole other element to the track that gives it that's because it's very just like like on the beat it's not like very it's very straightforward rhythm but it gives it a very interesting element to would otherwise be like a very standard i mean still good but standard piano ballad so it gives a gives that yeah. little flaming lips weirdness to the track yeah because uh, speaking on that, sorry if I cut you off. I didn't. No, I was done. Uh, but like with piano ballads, it's very like ebb and flow kind of thing. Just like a lot of uh, classical piano music, it's kind of like you stretch some beats here and take shorten some there. But like you said, it's very metronomic and stays on, which almost makes you feel a little uncomfortable. At least it did for me. But at the same time, like you said, it gives it that a little bit of oddness that the flaming lips tend to bring i also think it, he goes through this list in the song where he's like those robbers they were so fast they killed me so quickly and he's like the ambulance attendants did all they could but in the end it didn't didn't work out for me so he's like don't be mad at these people don't be mad at me we're all good just go on living your life mm-hmm. and the, the song portrays that that feeling so well yeah it's just kind of like it is what it is so don't let it stop you so are we officially skipping when we die when we're high sure i don't have anything to say about it though yeah so here we are at assassins of youth one of my favorite songs on the album so uh, Assassins of Youth, pretty much from what it sounds like lyrically, is just about um, the assassination of his childhood. At one point, he's like, "Yesterday I was a kid, and now I'm not." So it's just this loss of childhood innocence. But the, I'm pretty sure the beginning it does this like breathing and then this uh, ping sound, and I think that ping sound is, it sounds like the uh, Apple record button when you record voice memos. Oh, <laughs> that's what they sounds like they sampled. That's always what I thought. But I'm wondering if that's like 
his resuscitation or something because like in the previous song he just died so i'm wondering if it's like the heartbeat monitor sound supposed to be or something like that but then it goes in this very cool um flaming lips vocal with wayne and um yeah i'll i'll let one of you go ian you're first since you said you didn't remember the song apparently well, i'm re-listening to it now so it let andrew go okay andrew <laughs> Okay, so when this track first opened, I was imagining, like, especially when the guitar came in, I was imagining, like, this, uh, like, kind of, like, horror movie slash film intro where it's, like, a bunch of teenagers in a, like, in a convertible riding down the road in the woods kind of thing. Um, but then it was a really, like, disorienting but uh a good switch when it goes more synthy for that middle bit and i just think like even though it says it a lot and it kind of hounds the idea of like the lyric of assassins of youth uh i think it just drives home the point that you were saying because like if you look back i mean all of us are over 18 and so we like we've recognized that like holy crap our lives are actually starting like we're not just in school anymore. This is, like, life. Some of us have children. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. But, uh... But, like, we, we've all had that moment where we look back and we're like, we miss that innocence of being a child where we didn't have to worry of anything. And we can almost, like, pinpoint the moment where we had to be like, okay, it's time for me to think about what's going on and focus on where I'm going kind of stuff. And it's just, it's good to like meditate on, you know? I think this is also the song that had some super banging cello. I'm pretty sure. And I was just thinking about, uh, Brian Wilson talking about how, uh, what was the quote even where he, yeah, he said like the huge cellos. Yeah. That just made me think about it. Cause there's a part where it has like a, a instrumental break. And it's got, am I right? As a person listening to the song, or have you not gotten there? I haven't got, if it's in there, I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. <laughs> Are we talking about it? In what? I mean, I've been, ha I've had a, a headphone in listening to remind me. Because you okay. know I'm bad when it comes to like remembering, like just picking albums and remembering everything. Um, that just sounds I mean, like a I've listened to this album ten times, and I believe both of you have listened to it like once. So Correct. So it's all in my brain. I could probably sing this album to you. Not that you would want that. But but it sounded more like a guitar to me than a cello. It had a cello-like sound, okay? I almost yeah, say it had, the, it had the, the slide of a cello. Yeah. It probably it probably is not a cello. Okay, I'm at that part now. Yeah, I see what you, I think. Yeah, I think Andrew's right, but I see why you think cello. Yeah, but it has like an electronic feel to it, so... As the person here with the least amount of musical experience, I think we can cut me a break. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll condone the break. I'll, I'll give it to you. All right. I see what you're saying. And have you listened to enough of the song? To... There's like 30 seconds left, so yeah, I've listened okay. to enough now. All right. What's your thoughts? It's good. It's not one of my favorites, but it's good. I, I like that it like kind of... It doesn't stay too long in any one idea, and it's kind of moving between things. Like, because it starts out as well, it doesn't start out because, like, first, like I said, it has that 
little like breathing sound effect like he said but then it moves into like pretty fast like strumming guitar sound but then it slows down to like a little guitar ballad which almost sounds like something like it sounds like the title track off of yoshimi if it had like that little weird effect that it has on the guitar but i'll say this is a lot more straightforward but then it dissolves into an electronic instrumental underneath his vocals but then it goes back to the electric guitar but not like to acoustic with all these new instruments in the background so it's just kind of this constant shuffling of ideas that kind of keeps it moving along so one thing that it kind of reminded me of is uh i also listen to a lot of edm and that's a typical kind of thing for like house so like the song wake me up by Avicii, most people have heard that yeah it has that very heavy like guitar uh strumming pattern but then in the middle it just kind of like cuts out and lets it breathe before it goes into the full-on thing which i think is also uh like symbolizing the idea of seeing what your youth was and how it just quickly ends and you can't control it. Nice. So, God and the Policeman featuring Casey Musgraves. That's my Ian. This is probably, after Brother Eye, this might be my favorite track. I really enjoyed it. It's such a, like it has like, like the idea of like, kind of associating like god with like the policeman figure and like that because like in the mind of like a person who's like dealing drugs they're going to kind of encompass a very similar thing but i like that in the end it kind of goes past policeman directly to god like god will forgive me at least and that kind of nice ending like feel to it so so i should probably hit you with some context since he did post a video on what this was about it was loosely based off of a story he heard of a man who shot another man and murdered him, and then went on the run because he was a fugitive. Um, but everybody in the town pretty much agreed that this guy was bad. So it's the idea of, can God forgive you for murdering a bad person? <laughs> so this guy's on the run, but he did a good thing. And from what Wayne Coyne described, the policemen also are like understanding. They're like, yeah, we've, we probably wish we could have done what this guy did. So just that's the You idea. remember Bernie, right, Grant? Yeah. It's just like Bernie. Just like it. Why? Uh, have you seen Bernie with <laughs> Jack Black? Bernie. Bernie with what? It stars it's Jack Black as the lead. No, I haven't. I believe it's, it's on Netflix. Netflix. Great. Uh, or is it Netflix or Amazon Prime? Whatever. Uh, I think it's on Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Oh, I might give it a watch. Cool. Yeah, also the uh, that kind of like uh, Glockenspielic instrumental background that it has to it it reminded me a lot of a um of a well, refrain that's on olivia tremor controls album which i think is called combinations but I, I only recognize the the cover i don't remember the title right now but um that and it definitely reminded me because that's like the album that usually gets the uh everything in the kitchen sink adjective applied to it because it has this very weird reduction but whereas they're more into like lo-fi distorted guitars but this is flaming lips this is almost like their version of olivia tremor control but instead it's like electronics and synth production stuff so it's very interesting to like kind of because I, I don't think it's like a direct quotation from that album but it's definitely very reminiscent of the ideas because that that album is definitely all about not focusing on any one idea too long and then also redoing ideas within different tracks but with new uh variations on them so it definitely reminded me i with this one reminded me a lot of that so but i definitely again like the big that because it's it's not like 
a huge story build up, but it's just a very like nice way the track kind of builds to this big like refrain at the end of God Will Forgive Me after all the things that have happened throughout the album. So I'm gonna make a big statement here. How big? The fact that well, I'm gonna we're not gonna build it up too much. So <laughs> this this song in a way has got much of the same kind of storytelling as um crap, why am I completely blanking on the name now that I've made these statements? Um <laughs> Uh, I believe in you. You got this, Grant. Hold on, I'm gonna be shunned by everybody in the world. So it's a Beatles track about a similar thing. A guy wanted uh, uh, Silver Hammer. No, um, it's it's like a Western type storytelling. Rocky Raccoon. Rocky Raccoon. Yes. You forgot okay. Rocky Raccoon, bro. To be honest, it's like my second favorite Beatles song. I could not remember the title, but that's just because we're recording and I have to embarrass myself at least once. Okay, so Rocky Raccoon is like, well, this This is like a more, I'm not going to say like a more, I'm not going to say it, but I am going to say it. It's like a more <laughs> modern take on this, like instrumentally, like whereas Rocky Raccoon is playing into that like Western kind of vibe with like the, the guitars and stuff. This one's like more electronic and synthy and, and so it's, it's the same story kind of storytelling where it's like this man on the run kind of uh, western vibe in a modern setting yeah I think it's definitely like I, I see what you're saying for sure and it's a lot like heavier sonically as well because it has a lot of that like bass synthy like kind of sounds you know you know the wah kind of sounds it's only reminiscent of um uh What's the the second track on Yoshimi? The one more robot learns to dream. I don't remember what the title of the song is, but that. More, what? Is it one more robot? That's not. It has like a one. It has like a one of the like the slash like dual titles. That's why I can't remember. Uh, it. One more robot sympathy three thousand. Yeah, that's the one. Remind me of a lot of like the, like just the synth bass aspect of that song. Remind me of it. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> it oh what song was i comparing this to oh so have either of you all seen us yes yeah so you know the song five on it that it plays throughout the whole movie no <laughs> uh, is that the song that like the family likes or i'm trying to remember the, i can't think uh, of it right now oh how does it go uh we need a performance from like the like scary theme throughout the whole movie, oh. but it also has "I Got Five on It," that kind I, of stuff. I think I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. It's been a little while since I've seen it, but but uh, so basically, yeah. I I went back and checked the actual track because it has this con this conglomeration of this like very spooky like cello heavy bass deep like uh not incline decline and like drop where the line just keeps going down and uh it like sets a heavy mood but it also has this very like groovy and like party style like groove to it when it like gets into the i've got five on it and i think that they were doing something similar here where they have the like the spooky sounds kind of like reminding you of horror movie as well as giving you the shimmering of normality in the in the like the actual lyrics and the 
the actual groove and the sounds that they use versus the heavy bass sounds or and that kind of thing. Also, I'd like to say I watched the music video for this one, and it's the only one I've seen the entirety of because they were all recorded during COVID, and it's pretty funny. It's like watching a B-movie, but anyway. Because <laughs> there's a point where there's just this guy pretending to be dead, and there's, like, no blood or anything. It's just a guy laying in the middle of a road, and the policeman gets out of his car, and it's, like, these very static shots that you can tell, like, not a cinematographer. Like, like it was probably Wayne Coyne just with the recording camera. <laughs> but, but anyway, it has nothing to do with the song. Um, I like to say that Casey Musgraves' vocals probably outshine Wayne's on this, but, but um, I mean, those are two very different vocal performances. His are more graveled and aged than her more uh, heavily produced pop country vocals. So... Also, speaking on the vocals, uh, when they did the harmonies toward them, like, near the end of the song, it, I don't know why, but in my head, it, it sparked, like, a Beach Boys kind of harmony, almost, even though it's just two people, it gave me the vibe, like, the voices interacted in the way that the Beach Boys acted with each other, and I thought that was kind of cool. What did you think, Yeah. I feel like I already gave all my thoughts, so okay. I liked it a lot. Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite tracks. Uh, Brother Eye is definitely number one, but yeah. this is one of the ones under that. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by how well Casey Musgraves fits on, well on a Flaming Lips track, you know? Yeah. Uh, so this brings us to our final track, My Religion Is You. Andrew, tell me what you think. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I went in seeing that this is the closer of the album, so I went in with that, like, closer mentality, and it definitely fits into what you would expect kind of thing, especially... So, in my head, there are, like, two different kinds of closers, which, ironically, this album has both. So the intro is one kind of closer, and the outro, the closer, is the other kind. Um, where it's just kind of, it gives that trailing feeling where it has some, like, really cool, intricate parts, but it pretty much is just saying, like, what it, what the title says, and it's laying it out there for you, and just kind of, just kind of sits and grooves, but it doesn't, like, push forward, it more leans back and gives you that, like, okay, I've been through this whole experience, time to meditate kind of kind of vibe you know um so i believe ian when we listened to this this was uh the third single or something um and i believe when we listened to it we both kind of agreed that it wasn't our favorite by any yeah. means and it's kind of funny because when i listened to him talk about this track he said that he read it wrote read it he wrote it with the um uh, idea that it was be, to be performed by another uh, artist in their label and um, so he had he said it really freed him up to write a different kind of song because he thought he was writing it for somebody else mm -hmm. and I think that, that explains why both of us didn't really like it it wasn't my favorite it was probably one one of if not my least favorite song on the album so it was a pretty weak closer for me I definitely think it fits 
like it does, it definitely makes sense as a closer, especially lyrically, like with the, especially building after God and the Policeman and all the other themes of the album. Because now it's like after all this like crap that he's been through, now he has something to look forward to at least in the end. So it's interesting also that like you see like the two major figures like just from like uh, one listening album is like because you have like the mother figure. It, was, it feels like he's kind of like losing throughout the album, but now he's like moved on to like this. I don't know, like, I guess, like, I know, because I know he's married in real life, but within the the narrative of the album, it's more just, like, a girlfriend or something of just, like, just a relationship with the person, and yeah. his religion is this person. He actually so. stated in the the talks about this, he's like, I'm not sure if it, it it's, I'm not sure if it's a wife or a girlfriend. He said it himself, yeah. so, so you're on the same page. You're tracking. Yeah. But it's definitely, it's, it's, instrumentally, it's, like, not that interesting, but it, it it works fine at this point in the album. So it's not like I'm I'm not as upset. It's because that's the thing is like, and I, I'm gonna kind of go into like my overall thoughts a little bit here, which is like a lot of the tracks that I wasn't like when I when you listen to them on their own, it's kind of like this is like fine listening. Like that's how I felt about most of the albums. Is like this is like fine, and but then hearing them in the context of the album and like this like kind of narrative building. They flow and they interact with each other the way that makes them a lot more interesting than, like they they come greater than the sum of their parts when they all come together in this way and it made it a lot more interesting experience than I was expecting to get just from listening to the singles that I did, so that was an interesting experience like takeaway I had from the album was that they play a lot better together than they do on their own. So, yeah, um, so I think this is a, the perfect time to get into our overall thoughts of the album since it is a closer. Um, I will say that this, to me, is below Kingsmouth, and Kingsmouth to me is their fourth best because it's you know Yoshimi Sapples and I don't know which one there. Um, Atworth, see, personally, Atworth Mystics is my favorite. At least it's become my favorite because I listen to it a lot, and. Um, so it kind of holds my number one spot. But those all three are kind of tied. Soft Bullets and Yoshimi and At War are kind of all tied for number one. But then there's uh, King's Mouth is definitely below those. And I'm not sure if it's because that was the first album I heard by them. So I'm kind of biased towards it. And it was how I fell in love with the band. It was the first thing I listened to by them. Well, you, you'd played the Soft Bullets, but I didn't know it in the context of the Flaming Lips before, before listening to uh, King's Mouth. And King's Mouth, for me, is like the ideal album. My favorite thing about an album is when it tells a story. Personally, because my favorite album experience was listening to The Wall by Pink Floyd, which is one giant rock opera. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And all of the pieces transition into each other. And it's just like one whole thing. And that's what I've always wanted out of an album since I ever experienced that. And, uh, I mean, that album is going to sound a little cliche and cheesy, but it, it legitimately changed my life and the way I listened to music. And it changed a lot about me as a person listening to the album because at the time I was in a much different mind, much different mindset than I am now. And, you know, that's just changed with age. And that came about, I had heard that album at a, a very influential time in my life. Um, but... So ever since I listened to that, I've wanted something similar. And King's Mouth was very similar. And it was very flaming lips and the fact that it was all happy and over the top and talking about space and time and giant babies and 
giant heads that we're going to preserve and silver and live inside of, like a utopia. And that was like fantastic introduction to the Flaming Lips. And then this album is a lot more serious and a lot more dark and a lot more different than any of their other albums. And I think that's just the nature of it and where Wayne Coyne's at in his life and where where they've gone. And um, Wayne even said at one point that um, Stephen Drozd approached him with this sound and he's like, okay, I guess it's finally time to do this. Like he's been waiting to do something like this for a while. Um so it was finally his time. And it's not the worst album. I'll listen to it again. I might not listen to the whole thing. Like, I'll sit down and listen to King's Mouth anytime. But I might not um, listen to this all the way through. I mean, technically I've listened to it like 15 or so times already. But that was more or less preparing for this. And um, I have enjoyed it. But I can much more see myself listen to... Yoshimi, At War, Soft Bullets, and King's Mouth before this one. And yeah. um, just to cover some stuff, my favorite tracks were uh, uh, At the Movies on Quaaludes, Brother Eye is number one by far and away, and um, uh, God of the Policeman, Assassin's of Youth. Those were my favorite tracks, and my least favorite was um, um, Mother I've Taken LSD and... Um, my religion is you. So, I mean, I think I've talked about you this before, but for for my ranking, this might probably this might be like my third favorite because for me it's Soft Bullets and Yoshimi, and then this. I have to listen because I only listened to War that Mystics that one time you played it for me. Yeah, but I definitely, I personally definitely like this a lot more than King's Mouth, and it yeah. So by that, it kind of takes the third spot but i just really like the because it's definitely i enjoyed the album experience of this a lot more than i did with king's mouth so for that it kind of puts me above and then also so i my two favorites would be brother eye and gun the policeman then my least favorite was uh whatever the second track was the second the first instrumental watching the light what yeah. watching, watching the light box blow. yeah yeah i didn't i didn't care for that but See, I preferred that over um, When We Die, When We're High. I don't really like that instrumental. It's kind of bland to me. So I guess it's my it's turn. your turn. Uh, so very similar to what Grant said is I've always been intrigued by those albums that have like a, like a whole theme and an arc to it. Um, but being someone who listens to a lot of pop and gospel and stuff like that now the the new meta is single 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 compilation of singles is an album versus actually like a progression of here's where we started here's what i'm thinking kind of kind of deal and i've even been considering uh my next album that i do having that kind of movement but that's a huge project to take on and all that stuff um, but for me, I think it's against both of what y'all said, but I think my top two, I, I agree with the brother. I one. uh, that's in the top two, but I think my, like, I can't decide right now on which one's better 
in my opinion. But I think the other one that I put in my top two is Mother, Please Don't Be Sad. Uh, mainly because, like, the emotional, like, gravity of it, it just really speaks to me, and I really like it. Um, and I think probably my least favorite one would also... Uh, I don't know. They're kind of all vibe. But I'd probably say You and Me Selling Weed is my least favorite. Um, mainly because, like I said, it has that that very, like... T- the sound to me when it opens, it's just, like, it's very comical. And that just throws me off completely. I think. Was that I one? Want, I want some eyebrows when you said that. <laughs> what? What? Ian, you raised your eyebrows when he said that. Yeah, yeah, I was watching that too. I saw. I was like, mm. actually, it might have been Mother. I've taken LSD. No, it was Mother. I've taken LSD. That was my least favorite. Yeah, which was also one of my least. It was just. It was just hard to take it seriously for me. But yeah, I, I mixed up the songs there. My bad. So Andrew, as a person that is new to the Flaming Lips, will you be? Will you be joining the band of freaks? Uh, maybe. the The thing is, I need to listen to more of it because, like y'all said, it's very different than what they normally do. So, yeah. I've also been listening to, like I said, uh, told y'all I thought we were doing, you know, Shimi for some reason. I don't know why I thought that. So I've been listening to that one, but I do enjoy it. I mean, I've been in a phase musically where it's hard to like focus on one person, but. I will. They'll, they'll get in the playlist. They will get in the playlist. So, if you uh, take a look at my Instagram at Men in Black Records, uh, I have a record shelf, and there are two pillars. I call them to my left and right, and they are to my left. I have my Flaming Lips shelf, which is all Flaming Lips records, and I have almost all of their studio albums and some of their more obscure random stuff that they did as random projects with other people. And then to my right is Pink Floyd. And to me, they are my two favorite bands. And so I keep Flaming Lips on heavy rotation, especially recently with this album coming out. And I will say, I pre-ordered this album on vinyl, because that's what I'm into. And I ordered two copies, both signed by Wayne Coyne, and neither one of them have showed up yet. So that's great. And this album came out a week ago when we were recording this. A little more than a week ago when we record this. So, anyway, just just a minor gripe. <laughs> so, any any more thoughts? Anything anybody wants to say before we wrap it all up? I think I've gotten all my thoughts out there that I feel need needn't said. Same. All right. With that being said, let's tell them where you can find you on the internet. Andrew, where can we find you on the internet? Okay, so uh, (laughs) let's start off with the simple stuff. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, but we don't talk about that. Um, And uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram is the main one I use. I'm at... uh, the at is Andrew underscore music underscore official because I thought I was cool when I made it. Um, but as well, you can check out my album, which is on all streaming platforms called On My Mind um, by Andrew Merritt, me. 
Uh, and it came out in uh, June 16th of 2020. So I'm pretty hype about that. And you can listen to it basically anywhere music exists. Except YouTube. I don't have it up on YouTube yet. What about vinyl? You got on vinyl yet? Uh, no one has asked for vinyl. So. I just did. So get it. Get it made. Uh, I, I'm, I might figure that out for you, bud. Alright. Ian, where can we find you? Um, you, you got my, my Instagram, not Ian James Elmore, then my YouTube, Ian James Elmore. That's about it. Oh, and then I, I guess I should, I probably should plug Pink Amiga, I guess, but it's a little, it's a little <laughs> on hiatus at the moment, so. Pink Amiga, for those that don't know, is actually where the name of the podcast comes from. Uh, the Amiga cast is Pink Amiga's podcast was the idea behind it. But Pink Amiga has uh, kind of disbanded, more or less. I'm working on a solo project that has been kind of put on hold with a uh, newborn. On uh, That'll do that. Yeah. So uh, that's that's coming out sometime. I've worked on a couple tracks. I've roughed them out. Um, Ian's helping me produce that. So uh, that's coming somewhere sometime. And actually, it'll be on Bandcamp. What's our Bandcamp, Ian? Pinkamingo. Well, I guess if you want to look it up on like on your browser, it's going to be p n k a m n g a dot bandcamp dot com. But if you have it, the app, you can just look up Pinkamingo. Yeah, which I have. We're great. Don't worry about it. So, um, you can find me at Man in Black Records on Instagram, and that's that's my main my main gig. If you want, if you're into Disney stuff, which is not really what this is about, I post <laughs> blogs uh, at Double Dip Disney on Instagram and uh, Double Dip Disney on YouTube. But you know, if you happen to be a Disney fan and want to check that out, then that's that's your own deal. Oh, all right. Well. Also, I forgot. I also have Facebook. Andrew Merritt. You can hit me up there too, if, if you desire. But yeah, you probably tell somebody how to spell your last name. M e r r i t t, double r double t. Okay, cool. All right, that will do it for the Aminga Cast. I appreciate everybody joining, Andrew. I hope we can have you back sometime. Yes, sir. Love it. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you some other time. Bye. Adios.